man, it's good to see y'all, y'all. If you're a guest, we're glad you're here. I'm David, I'm the pastor. We know anything we have going on, you're welcome to be a part of it. I was off November, thanks to Joe, for preaching that a whole month. He did okay. He did all right. He's doing good. So I appreciate him. We have good preachers. In the 8.30 service, we had several other guys preaching. It's good. I know I can take a little time off. And, uh, and those guys got it. Man, it is Christmas. I love Christmas. I mean, I just do. I just think it's a time of celebration. I'm one of these guys, when August hits, I start looking for Christmas decorations, man, in the stores. Go over. The only time I go to Hobby Lobby, man, is in August to see Christmas stuff. And I love it. I, don't, I start putting my stuff up in November. Well, you have to understand how much stuff we got putting up in November for a reason. But, and, and, and I love all that. I think it's great. And don't, I say this every year. I hope you're not one of those people like a Scrooge or a Grinch who get upset, well, you shouldn't have Christmas stuff up for Thanksgiving. Why not, man? It's got Christ, Christmas. You're, you're celebrating Christ. That's fantastic. And don't be that, don't be that person, right? You know who I'm talking about? The one that nobody wants to have over for Christmas. You know who I'm talking about? It's you, probably. If you don't get invited to a party, that's why. You know that. It's okay if someone says, happy holiday. We know what holiday it is. It's okay if people, I mean, we're not worried about the commercialization. I don't think God's too worried about people making money. It's good to give gifts. It's okay to give gifts. I'm a double XL athletic cut, if you want to know. 36-inch slim, just in case you were wondering. That part, I was kidding. <laughs> Obviously, I've never been nothing slim. And then I, it's just Christmas, and we celebrate Christmas here, man. If you've never been here, you know, next Sunday night, you know, at 4 and 6, they advertise there. we got the musical going on. It's great. The 19th, I mean, in these services, they always, the, the, the band always does something fantastic. And then Christmas Eve, I mean, come on. Christmas Eve's packed and going, you know, it's just fantastic, man. It's fantastic. So come on and be a part of all of that. In about uh, 750 years before Jesus was born, there were some guys that wrote some books, prophetic books, and, and we got them. And three of those guys in particular were writing stuff, and they, meant, they probably didn't even know they were writing it, what they wrote. But in what they were writing, there was just, just kind of this, this message that you kind of get coming out of it. And, and, and after the birth of Jesus, a guy named Matthew wrote a book. And in the book, he kind of tells us what that message was. He didn't say it in so many words, but in the Christmas story, he kind of tells us what those guys were writing about. They were writing about the fact that he's coming. That's the message. And that's our series in this month. He's coming. Jesus, they said. They didn't even know it was Jesus. They didn't even use that name Jesus. But they knew someone was coming. Here's the thing in this whole series that I want you to see. And it's this. The Jewish scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, point to someone a Messiah, who is God's way to save us. And Jesus is that Messiah. Get this. He fulfills and completes all, all that God promised for our salvation. That Old Testament, it points to someone. It's pointing to the Messiah. Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and Peter and Paul tell us who that Messiah is. It's Jesus. Because in the Old Testament, they said he's coming. And the New Testament says, well, he came. And today we begin this series in Matthew. We're going to see over the next three weeks three different places in the birth story of Jesus where he references the Old Testament and that he's coming. Today we're going to come in reverse order of how they occur in Matthew to he's coming out of Egypt. And it's important to know why Matthew signifies coming out of Egypt. He's quoting Hosea 11.1 1, there in Matthew 2, chapter, 13, chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. And here's what I want you to see 
for the message today. Jesus did what no one else ever did or we will do. He completely satisfied God's plan for your salvation. Jesus did what no one else ever did or ever will do. Completely and totally satisfies God's plan for your salvation. I mean, again, uh, today, we're going to have two points kind of to this message. And the first thing that I want you to see is this. The Old Testament prophets tell us he's coming. He's coming. You know, the Old Testament sometimes can be hard to understand. You know, and, and understand this. The Old Testament, it's what in the New Testament, when those guys are writing, you know, Paul does it, and the gospel writers do, do it, the guy who wrote Hebrews does it, and all those guys, Peter, they talk about the scriptures. When they talk about the scriptures, they're talking about what we call the Old Testament. They didn't call it the Old Testament. It was the only thing they had. They were writing the New Testament. There was nothing new yet. And those scriptures can, can be hard for us to understand sometimes, and I get this. And part of the reason is we don't fully get what the purpose of those scriptures are. <clears throat> and so something I've shared, I bet I've shared this a hundred times in my six and a half years here, but I'm going to share it again. I'll share it many more times. Understand this. To get the Bible, to kind of understand it, get this. The Old Testament is a book of promise. And the New Testament is a book of fulfillment. The Old Testament promises something. The New Testament keeps it. See, I struggle with the Old Testament is, it, is that it, it's written to a group of people. And it's about a group of people, but really sometimes what we misunderstood is we think the Old Testament is just about the Jews, but it's not. It's about God. Because God is just revealing himself through those writings. God is revealing himself through the people of Israel. The people of Israel were not God's final plan for what was going to happen. That, and some people have the idea, well, you know, Israel messed up and God had to do something else. No, no, no. They were just part of the plan. You see, if you read the Old Testament, here's what happens. When you read the Old Testament, I do this all the time when I read it. You get to the end of it, or you get to the end of a, chat, a book or something, and you say, this is great, but something's missing. If you read the Old Testament, you just get the feeling something's missing. You know what's missing? The New Testament. That's what's missing. In the 8th century, 750 to 700 years before Christ, there was this empire. It was unbelievably cruel. It's called the Assyrian Empire. It's mentioned throughout the pages of Scripture. <clears throat> and there had never been an empire, never will be as cruel as them. The Egyptians weren't that cruel. The Babylonians could be cruel, not this cruel. The Romans weren't even close in cruelty to the Assyrians. And they were dominating the world. And at that time, the people of Israel had been divided into two nations, two countries. When, when Solomon died about 922 B.C., his son Rehoboam couldn't keep it together. And the ten northern tribes split away from Judah and Benjamin. And they split away from the kingdom of David. And they formed their own country with their own king. And it lasted a little less than 200 years. And throughout its history, it was an illegitimate kingdom. It did not have a descendant of David on its throne. But more than that, it never completely worshipped God. Or the Old Testament calls Yahweh. I mean, they worshipped him some, but they added to it the worship of Baal and paganism. And basically, they just became a pagan people. At the same time, there was the southern kingdom. Now, the southern kingdom was a legitimate kingdom of Israel, because it had the heir to the throne of David all the time. And it lasted a lot longer. It lasted all the way till 587, when the Babylonians destroyed them. And the thing about the southern kingdom is that about half the time, they worshiped God right. And about half the time, they worshiped God wrong, like the northern kingdom, which is probably why they lasted twice as long. And in this 8th century, there was this kingdom called Assyria, and they were coming after Israel. And God was going to use the Assyrians to judge, especially the northern kingdom. And God sent numerous prophets before in particular. Isaiah, Micah, 
Hosea, and Amos. They all have a book with their name on it. Isaiah is the most famous. Isaiah and Micah primarily wrote to the southern kingdom of Judah. Hosea and Amos primarily wrote to the northern kingdom. And they warned them a serious coming, especially to the northern kingdom. Hosea warned them a serious coming, man. They're coming. And if you don't get it right, if you don't get it together, if you don't repent, they're going to come and destroy you. And in his 14-chapter book, understanding he didn't write in chapters, that was added later. But in the 11th chapter of that 14-chapter book, there's a remarkable word from Hosea. He talks about how much God loves Israel, and he did, and he does. He loved them. He said this, you're going to be taken. And he compared the Assyrians to the Egyptians. Now, the Egyptians didn't capture Israel. Israel, through Jacob, had gone to Egypt and was there 400 years, but they had become enslaved. And he said, just like you were slaves in Egypt, you'll become enslaved in the Assyrians. But one day, there will be one who will deliver you. And we see this in chapter 11, verse 1. Here's what Hosea says. When Israel was a youth, I left him, and out of Egypt I called my son. That's Hosea 11, 1. That's what he says. When Israel was a youth, when he was a young, tender child, I left him, and I called him out of Egypt. Well, what's Hosea doing? They've been out of Egypt for a long time. He's saying this, just as you were once in Egypt, and I called you out. One day you'll be in Assyria, and I will call you out again. But here's the thing. At no point in the history of Israel do you ever see them leaving Assyria. They never left. They left the Babylonian captivity, but never the Assyrians. That evidently didn't ever get fulfilled. Here's what we have to realize. This is so important. When Hosea was giving us this verse, he was being prophetic in the truant sense. See, we, we sometimes think of the prophets as predicting the future. You probably think, well, prophecy is always dealing with the future, or that which is prophetic was dealing with, with the, how the future is going to be. That's not the case. The primary thing about prophecy was not that it was telling the future, but it was speaking the mind of God. And that's what the prophets did. They related the history of Israel and applied it, how God was working in their life. In fact, see this. Dwayne Garrett, in his commentary on Hosea, says this. Hosea, like all biblical prophets, show prophecy not so much as the making of specific individual predictions, which are actually quite rare among the writing prophets, but as the application of the word of God to historical situations. Understand this. The prophets weren't there to predict stuff. They did predict a few things, sure. That's just natural. They said, this is what's going to happen. This is what's coming. But primarily what they did is make sure that the people of Israel understood how God was working in their life. Their main goal was not to predict things, but to apply things. That's what Hosea is doing. He's linking back to Egypt. And what happened there is what's going to happen with the people of Assyria. Understand this. When you read the book of Hosea, when I read it, I don't get any idea that he's talking about the coming Messiah. I read Isaiah 11 one, a whole bunch. I read chapter 11 a whole bunch for this message. At no point did I ever say, you know, it's pretty obvious he's talking about Jesus. It's not the case. What he's talking about is Israel. Now, you may be asking yourself, then how does this affect or apply to Jesus? If you're asking that question, that's what I'm about to tell you. You should have asked that question if you didn't. It should have been popping in your mind there. So here's the thing that we need to recognize. When you come to the New Testament and you come to Matthew, Matthew is writing a book about Jesus. Jesus came into the world when the world was in a dark and gloomy place. Jesus came into the world at a time when the world was steeped in sin. The Romans reigned. 
paganism was everywhere still. And, and the people of Israel who should have been worshiping God, their, their faith had ceased to be faith and become a religious system. In fact, when Jesus came, he came and he broke down that system. And it was a system of self-righteousness. And they were failing everywhere. And Jesus came into that world. And he came into that world to bring salvation. And one of his followers, an apostle named Matthew, he was still alive 30 years after Jesus ascended. It was about 60 AD. And he realized that the apostles and a lot of the early church people were dying off. And Jesus hadn't come back, and they needed to give an account of Jesus' life. In fact, about the time Matthew wrote, Matthew, Mark, and Luke were writing also. And, and they were writing the same, same reason. They need to let people know about Jesus. But Matthew is unique, and Matthew is kind of... Uh, kind of special in the fact that he realized that the people of Israel, the Jews, had kind of rejected Jesus. And he understood as they were rejecting Jesus, they were in trouble. And so Matthew appealed primarily to a Jewish audience, and he begins his gospel. In fact, the first book in the New Testament, the first words in the New Testament are these, found in Matthew 1.1, the record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He says, this is something, this is a record about Jesus. And notice how he begins his gospel. He says he's the Messiah. I mean, the Jews knew exactly what that meant. He said, as the Messiah, he comes from the genealogy, the lineage. He is the seed, the son of both David and Abraham. Now, to be the son of Abraham links you back to the promise made to Abraham. Now, most people incorrectly think the promise made to Abraham was just about Israel. That's incorrect. The promise made to Abraham was for all the world. The whole world will be blessed through you. That process would occur through Israel. Matthew says Jesus is the link back to Abraham. Not only that, he's the link back to David. David was given a promise. He said, you will always have a descendant sit on the throne of Israel. Well, Israel hadn't had a king in centuries. How was that going to be fulfilled? Well, they understood, the Jewish people all understood, as that pertaining to the Messiah. That's one thing they knew for sure. That was a messianic foretelling, is that the king would have to be the Messiah. And Matthew says, here he is, Jesus. And Matthew does this then. Over the next few chapters, first two chapters, what we call chapters in Matthew, five times, he links Jesus to the scriptures, what we call the Old Testament. We're going to look at three of them. Now, in four of those five times, he quotes a specific prophet, Isaiah, Micah, Hosea, and Jeremiah. The fifth time, he just says the prophets say this, and it's in reference at the end of chapter 2 to Jesus being from Nazareth. And if you read, no place in the Old Testament do you see them ever actually saying he's coming from Nazareth. But Matthew understood the prophets. And when Matthew talks about the prophets in, 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 in the Jewish world, our Old Testament, their scriptures divided into three sections, Torah or the law, prophets, and the writings. The writings were... Psalms and Proverbs and a few books like that. Everything else were the prophets. But they would just refer to them in general. And he's saying this. In general, the prophets point to Jesus, the Messiah coming from Nazareth. But in the three that we're going to look at, we come to finally the passage that is our focal point. I needed to do all that other to set it up. Now, understand this. When you get to Matthew chapter 2, the background is Herod. The Magi have come. We're going to see the Magi next week. Herod was an unbelievably cruel and vicious king. He was the king of the Jews, not in the Davidic sense, like David, but he was king, and the Romans had put him over there. He still answered to Rome. He was a cruel man. You can, you can get on the Internet and look up all the things that, that you can find out about, about Herod. In fact, Internet's so good, you can look stuff up. 
Some of it's true, but you can look up a lot of stuff. It's not, but it'll tell about Herod. And, and you need to do that, and you just look that up. And Herod was so cruel. And in the midst of this cruelty, here's what we see in verse 13. Now, when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in Joseph, to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt. And remain there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. Look what he said. When they had gone, who were they gone? The Magi. The, Herod wanted Magi to come and talk to him and, and, and let him know where the child was going to be. So they, Herod said, so I can go and worship him. Herod just wanted to go and kill him. The angel said, don't go there. So the angel then came to Joseph before Herod knew what was going on and gave three commands. Get up, take, and flee. Get up, take, and flee. There's a sense of urgency. Do this and go to Egypt. Now, we always think of Egypt as being the place they left. But for a large part of Israel's history, after the Exodus, Egypt would be a place they would flee to for refuge. By the time of Jesus, there are probably a million Jews living in Egypt. And he said, go. I want you to go there. And here, I want you to go. Why? Because Herod's going to search for the child to destroy him. He's going to search. He's going to look. And that word destroy means to wipe out. It's the same word that is used to speak of what hell is. It's the destruction of our souls. He's going to destroy the child. From the very beginning, there has always been an effort to destroy Jesus. From the birth to the cross, people sought to destroy him. And after Jesus had left, they have sought to destroy his church ever since. It will not change till he comes again. Verse 14 then. Here's what we see. Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, it was still night, and left for Egypt. Went suddenly, got up immediately and went. It was night. Probably used the money from what the, uh, the, the gifts that the, the Magi brought, gold, incense, and myrrh, to pay for the trip. Jesus was probably several months old when they went. You know, we, we all have the, the nativity scenes, and I'll talk about this more next week. But you know how you have nativity scenes? We have, like last night, Debbie, yesterday, Debbie put all the nativities up. There were like 55 nativities. I'm like, kid, we have a ton of nativities. We love, we love the nativities in our home. And you always have the wise men at the, the manger, but they, they, were, they were several months away, you know. But doesn't, you, can't, you can't put the wise men in the two other rooms over to you know, express that distance. He's probably, he remained there. And so he was there until the death of Herod. That word death is, an, is not the normal word for death or not a usual we see in the New Testament. It's a word that is a derivative of till the end, till the end of Herod, till Herod was no more. This was to fulfill. That word fulfill means to bring to completion what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet out of Egypt. I will call my son. Now, here he's quoting Hosea. Matthew is saying that Jesus at his birth fulfilled what was written in the book of Hosea, brought it to its completion. You know, one of the things that we do sometimes and the mistakes that we make is not to fully realize that when Jesus came, he tells us he fulfills all the, of the Old Testament. In fact, what the biblical writers, like what Matthew and all those guys do, is they tell us Jesus, he fulfilled everything that was expected. In Matthew's account of the life of Jesus, in chapter 5, verse 17, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, I did not come to do away with the law and the prophets. I didn't come to abolish them. I didn't come, he says, to destroy them, but to fulfill them. He says, I completely fulfill everything. Everything that the law and prophets point to, I fulfill, fulfill that completely. Everything. Remember, they thought that all of that was going to pertain to Israel. Jesus is saying, whatever you think that pertains to Israel and our scriptures, I fulfill that. If you don't understand that Jesus fulfilled everything in the Old Testament, 
then you're disagreeing with Jesus, and you need to fix, fix that. It's a problem. Not only did Jesus say, I came to fulfill all that, a little bit later on, in Matthew chapter 11, John the Baptist is in prison, and he sends people, his disciples to find out from Jesus if he's the real deal. And Jesus said, yes, go back and tell him I am. And then he talks about John, and in verse 13, he says this, the prophets and the law prophesied until John. This is important. This is so subtle. I always just skip over this, and then one day I just caught this. The prophets and the law, the scriptures, prophesied until John. They were, in effect, foretelling what God is going to do, preaching forth the message of God all the way until John. You know why John is significant? was when John came, he brought in the beginning of the ministry of Jesus because he was the forerunner. He fulfilled what was written in Malachi. Jesus said, it's not about predicting the future. It's about speaking the mind of God, and he fulfilled all of that. Here's the thing we should realize. God's plan runs through the whole of Scripture, and all of it points in some way to the coming of Christ. All of the Scripture, the old and the new, God's plan is in all of that. And it all points in some way to the coming of Jesus. Here's what Matthew is saying to his readers, and they're Jewish readers. And here's what he is trying to say to them. By identifying Jesus with Israel in his flight from Egypt, Matthew points to Jesus as God's ultimate way of bringing salvation to us. The whole reason Matthew has this in here, because I, I, I read that stuff sometimes like, well, why did he need to include that? Well, he included that story back over to Egypt for one very simple reason. By identifying Jesus through Hosea all the way back to the Exodus, he was reminding those people that whatever Israel was to be, Jesus was it. Jesus was it. The Old Testament prophets say he's coming. And Matthew says he came. With that in mind, the second thing I want you to see today is this. The birth of Jesus shows us that he is God's way of salvation. The birth of Jesus. Christmas is important. He shows us. He is God's plan of salvation. That's so important for you to get that. We are celebrating not just the birth of a baby, but the one who has come. One of the beautiful things about Matthew, as it's written to a Jewish audience, is we're allowed to kind of look in, to kind of take a peek into their world. We're reading someone else's letter. You know that, right? Have you ever read someone else's letter? You parents know what I'm talking about, right? Because you read your kids' mail all the time, don't you? Of course you do. If you're a good parent, you do. I did that. You know, y'all, anyway, you know what else you do? You stalk your kids. Your kids start driving. You know what you do? You follow them, don't you? I did. When my daughter started driving, I followed her like I was Jim Rockford, man. <laughs> Without the cool car. I see only people of a certain age laugh. You young people, go look up Jim Rockford. Coolest <laughs> private eye ever. Oh, I wish I hadn't have done that at times. Okay, we're, we're, we're just kind of viewing into their world. And we're viewing into this beautiful letter, this beautiful gospel to the Jews. And we see Matthew telling something so important to them. And when he speaks to them, he speaks to us. There are three primary things he's saying right here. Here's the first. If Jesus fulfills what God said in the scriptures about the coming Messiah, well, he must be the Messiah. That's how he began his book. The genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. 
And then he goes to say, he fulfills all that, even the ones you didn't think pertained to him. You know, if you read in two weeks, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 7, the virgin will be with child. You read Isaiah 7, you have, you just read it, cold stone, without knowing about Jesus, you're not thinking about the Messiah coming. But Matthew read that, and he said, you know, that pertained to Jesus. He goes back and he takes all of that. All the guys did it. Paul did it all the time. The guy wrote Hebrews. He wrote a whole book about that. Taking the Jewish scriptures and saying, Jesus completely fulfills that. He was telling these guys, you got to get this. Because Christianity, back in, in Matthew's days, not, not, the Jews are leaving it behind. It's becoming Gentile. But you and I need to read that also and say everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus. Not only that, he says this. Whatever Israel was to be in God's plan, Jesus is completely and perfectly. Whatever Israel was going to be, Jesus is it. I hear people all the time saying, well, what do you think, you know, about Israel? What's their, well, how's God going to use them in the end? We already used them. They're done. Oh, I know. Jews will come to Christ. Paul talks about that. Lots of people come to Jesus right now. People in China are coming to Jesus like no one else. Muslims come to Jesus like there's no tomorrow. some point, Jewish people will. But I got news for you. The nation Israel, whatever they were to be, it done been it. Because Jesus took care of that. That's what the New Testament tells us. That's what Jesus said. When he said, I came to fulfill the law and the prophets, I brought it to its end. He did that. When he came and brought God's kingdom. Do you know what the coming of Jesus was the coming of the kingdom of God? He said that. I mean, and, and starting in January, I'm going to preach through the whole gospel of Mark from January through April. I'm going to start off, Mark chapter 1. Jesus says, the kingdom is here. <laughs> he walked in. He said, here I am, guys. The kingdom is here. In Matthew, on the Sermon on the Mount, when he gives that Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he says, this is what it means to be in the kingdom. He begins by saying this, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is, not will be, theirs is the kingdom of God. The kingdom isn't something in the future. The kingdom is now. His first coming inaugurated it, and his second coming consummates it for all eternity. He is the king. That's what Matthew's telling Israel. He's the man. So that, the third thing is this. To reject Jesus, his heritage, is to reject God and his plan for your salvation. We'll see next week the Magi came to Herod, who's the king of the Jews. Said, Where's the king of the Jews going to be born? Herod asked the religious leaders, and they said Bethlehem. And Micah was one of the predictive. Sometimes in, in the prophecy does predict, there was a predictive thing in Bethlehem. They knew it. And they went. Herod wanted to go find Jesus too, to kill him. And when the, the Magi didn't come, and after verse 15, we see in Herod, the man who could have worshipped the king of the Jews, but instead sought to slaughter him, go and worship and slaughter the innocents, the killing of all those children. Probably 15 to 20 boys under the age of two died in Bethlehem. That was Herod. Slaughtered the innocent. Slaughtered those kids. To reject Jesus is to identify with Herod. You have rejected God in his plan 
That's exactly what Matthew was saying to those Jews. You reject Jesus. You reject the only plan of salvation God has for you. Jesus did what no one else ever did or ever will do. He satisfied to the fullest God's plan for your salvation. Have you accepted the salvation that only Jesus will ever bring? Today, I want to invite you to Christmas spirit in the Christmas season to celebrate all the things with family and to have a good time doing it, to have joy. But to ask yourself, have you fully, completely taken your life and given it to Christ and trusted him to be your Savior? Because if you haven't trusted Jesus to be your Savior, whether you want to admit it or not, you, like Herod, have rejected him. Some of you. When was the last time you really celebrated Jesus? Oh, we have a lot of opportunities at Christmas to celebrate Christ. But in your life, are you truly celebrating that when Jesus came, he broke into this world to save you this Christmas? Celebrate Jesus. And this Christmas, who do you know that needs Jesus? Because we're going we're to see family. We're going to see friends. We're going to see people that need Christ. And Christmas may be the only time of the year they're open to you telling them about Jesus. Won't you make that commitment today? We're going we're to be standing right here. If you want to come give your life to Christ or say, you know, David... Uh, to somebody, but we, I, I need to celebrate. Help me celebrate Christ. Or help me, help me reach someone. You can. If you want to join our church, you can. If you want us to pray with you, ladies, there'll be a woman up here. If you feel more comfortable praying with another woman, you can do that as well. I, I don't know what you need to do today, but I know this. Man, those old prophets, they said he's coming. And the New Testament guy said, hey, he already came. So Jesus, who is Lord of all, to him be praise and honor and glory forever. And God, we thank you for Jesus, who is our Savior, and through whom you have always determined that you would bring our salvation. At this point in this time in our lives, let us be sure that we are completely committed to following Jesus Christ as Lord. And to those who have never trusted him, let them at this moment give their life to Christ. And for all of us, let it be the time we celebrate we celebrate Jesus because in him we have your one and only way to come to you. We have the one who has come and in whose name we pray and give praise. Amen and amen. Would you stand? We'll be here if you need to come. You come.